0: Good morning. Uh, It is a privilege to be before you, uh, to bring God's word to you. Uh, I have been praying for you uh, for our time, uh, that we would be uh, encouraged. Um, um, Would you please uh, join me in turning in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter two? Um, If you need a copy of God's word, there should be one uh, in front of you under one of the seats. Um, on this pew Bibles, um, Psalm 2 can be found on page 448. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you for the word made flesh, your son, the Lord Jesus. Uh, we pray that you would uh, do as you delight to do, which is exalt your son. Um, would Christ be uh, magnified uh, this morning? Uh, I pray that you would help us to uh, listen intently, uh, to look into your word here. And uh, would you help us to behold wondrous things from your, from your word, Uh, And we just pray all this for um, the glory of your son and for the good of your church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. What in the world is going on? It only takes a brief scan over today's news headlines to provoke this question in our minds. Regardless of our background, age, or beliefs, when we hear about what's going on in the world we all innately discern that things are just not as they should be. When we hear of the daily atrocities, the many injustices and malpractices and abuses of power, we are often led to utter astonishment at it all. Now, as Christians, though we know that this fallen world is not our home, having been given a far better hope of an unshakable kingdom an abiding new heavens and new earth in which only righteousness dwells. We too can't help but wonder at what's going on in the world, uh, and not only when the news headlines tell us of things uh, going on out there, uh, but also when these same things infringe upon our own lives. Um, Christians throughout history would have been uh, often led to ask themselves, "What in the world is going on?" Uh, take, for instance those living in the early 4th century AD under Roman Emperor Diocletian. Uh, Though Diocletian's reign was mostly marked by toleration, in the year 301 AD, he began one of the the most terrible persecutions in the history of the church. He issued multiple edicts to dismiss all Christians from their positions in the government and army, uh, to destroy all church buildings, burn all Bibles, forbid all Christian worship, and to require all citizens uh, to sacrifice to the pagan gods upon threat of execution. In an attempt to leave a lasting legacy, uh, the emperor capped off his sinister reign by building a monument over a burned Bible in which he wrote the words, Extincto Nomine Christianor, translated, the name Christian is extinguished. Uh, now, Now, we know that Diocletian did not succeed to end Christianity, praise God, Um, but the reason why he did not succeed is too often overlooked. That reason, friends, is the truth contained in Psalm 2. And the answer for those living in the fourth century is the same answer for us today. Uh, I believe that Psalm 2 uh, is the perfect remedy to properly inform um, and stabilize our souls uh, that we may find uh, when we find ourselves perplexed by the world around us. uh, Because Psalm 2's and divinely inspired content it explains all of history, showing us how to make sense of the world and more specifically, who it is that rules over it. Um, before we get started, just a little background on Psalm 2. although you'll see in, their, in your Bible that there is no heading indicating authorship, we are told in Acts chapter four that David is the author. Um, that is King David, the ruddy youth called by the Lord. From among the sheepfolds and raised up to shepherd God's people Israel. David is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a poetic reflection on both the cosmic kingship of God and his own kingship in the land of Israel. Um, If we want to condense uh, the teaching of this psalm into a summary statement, it would be this The Lord has definitively answered the world's opposition to his rule. With his son who will subdue all things. Submit to him. Uh, We will consider three points. Uh, They are number one, rage. Two, reign. And third, refuge. All right. First point, rage. Um, If you look in your Bibles, we'll begin verse one. The psalmist bursts out here with an arresting question. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Um, The the question is burning in David's mind. He asks why. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Uh, This is much more than a question. David is is expressing utter astonishment at the world seen before him. In verse 2, he adds that the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now as king, David was appointed by the Lord to subdue and rule over uh, not only the nation of Israel, but all the nations in the promised land. Um, He was commissioned as Adam and Israel were before him to exercise dominion and advance the kingdom of God on the earth. And this calling and description of David's kingship is what the Lord had been promising his people throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Namely, that a king would come to crush the head of their enemies, and bring peace. Um, For instance, in Numbers 24, uh, when speaking through the prophet Balaam, the Lord says this, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. But even after Israel gathered at Hebron to publicly anoint their king, uh, David still experienced ongoing periods of rebellion uh, from the nations that surrounded Israel whether it was the Philistines, the Moabites, or the Amorites. Um, And David here understood that in rising up against him, the nations were actually rising up against the Lord. Uh, And the psalmist defines the whole plan with one word, vain. Vain, futile, or pointless. Um, And it's vain because of who it is that the world is opposing. It's the Lord, the Lord who created the entire universe by speaking it into existence. The I am that I am, the self existing one, the Lord whose rule uh, extends over all the universe, the Lord whose throne has been established from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord who preserves all things and gives life and breath to every creature. Uh, David had confessed this reality. Uh, as he prayed over the entire assembly of Israel in First Chronicles uh, chapter 29. He says, "'Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might.'" And in your hand, it is to make great and to give strength to all. Uh, The prophet Isaiah also spoke of the Lord concerning the nations, saying, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. The Lord brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Oh, vanity of vanities, what will the world gain by opposing the Lord? Uh, this, I hope you see, this is the definition of mission impossible. Um, so the question is, this brings us to the question, if the world cannot succeed in disposing the Lord, why even try? And the answer is, sin makes us stupid. Sin is folly. Uh, Since that first act act of high treason in the Garden of Eden, when Adam usurped his creator's position as Lord in favor of himself, all mankind has followed suit and are now by nature actively raging and plotting against his rightful claim as king. Uh, We see the folly of sin on full display, if you remember, at the Tower of Babel, uh, where mankind united in purpose, uh, bringing together their best efforts and skills to build that tower um, that will supposedly reach the Lord in the heavens. Um, however, we read in Genesis 11:6 that the project was actually so insignificant that the Lord had to come down to even see it. Um, this is our natural state. Uh, sin has blinded the soul so much that man is actually convinced that he can take a stand against the Lord and succeed. And sin has so corrupted our affections that all we want to do is live as traitors. Um, The word plot in verse 1 is actually the same Hebrew word translated um, meditate back in Psalm 1 verse 2. While the godly meditate on God's word, the wicked are plotting rebellion against that very word, and it is vain. Um, We see the manifestation of this rebellion uh, in verse 3, where the Lord declares where the world declares in unison, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their courts from us. In this perverse United Nations mission statement, uh, the world is saying in the effect, the ways of the Lord are bondage. Uh, They restrict our rights and freedom so much that we have made it our aim to rid ourselves of them. Um, This is nothing else than the ancient lie that Satan sowed in the garden the lie which says God's ways keep us from freedom, uh, from truly living our best life. Uh, But this attempt, even this attempt, to cast off the king's authority is futile. Uh, As image bearers of God, all of humanity cannot escape the reality that we all owe him our full allegiance. Um, I think an example in our day um, of the absolute futility and opposing the reality of the Lord's kingship is in atheism, a worldview that has not only grown to be tolerated, but now embraced by many in our culture. Um, The Word of God, though, makes very clear that though mankind attempts to rid themselves of God, his very existence in law is inescapable. Uh, The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 that because we are made in God's image, we all know God is king, uh, but are constantly suppressing the truth of his kingship in our hearts. And Romans chapter 2 explains that even though we, um, even though we know right and wrong is because the law of God is written upon our hearts um, in virtue of being made in the image of God. Ultimately, the attempt to, to deny the existence and authority of God is like standing in a pool and pushing down on a beach ball to keep it underwater. Eventually, it flies up in your face. We know now with the coming of Jesus that though King David experienced lots of conflict among the nations around him, the opposition against the Lord and his anointed finds full expression in the hostility towards the Lord Jesus. Um, uh, Anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism, Jesus began his own kingly conquest uh, on earth by preaching the gospel of the kingdom, uh, healing the sick, blind and lame, casting out demons, and teaching the word of God with authority. But what did the rulers and authorities do? They raged. Uh, the apostles, they acknowledged this in Acts chapter 4 saying, For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Jesus was plotted and counseled against by the kings and rulers, nations and peoples of his day, and delivered up to be executed on a cross. But the raging was shown to be in vain, as they were doing exactly as the Lord's hand and plan had predestined to take place, bringing salvation through the death and resurrection of his son. Which brings us to our next point. Point number two, rain. And we'll be spending... The bulk of our time here on this point. While verses 1 to 3 display the world vainly scheming against the Lord, uh, verses 4 to 6 bring us now into the very throne room of heaven. What is the Lord's reaction to such rebellion to his infinite glory, honor, and authority? Is he threatened? Is he on the edge of his seat? Is he panicking? Verse 4 says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord is not anxiously pacing uh, the floor of heaven's throne room. He's not making plans of escape to some remote location where he can hide out until the tumult has passed. No, the Lord is where he's always been, seated on his throne. Um, While the wicked are like the tossing sea, its waters tossing up mire and dirt, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood enthroned over the tumultuous hearts of sinful men. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. And when the Lord considers and looks down upon the world's uh, vain attempts to oppose him, he gives a hearty chuckle. It's divine comedy to him. And this needs clarifying this point. Uh, rebellion is not funny. Sin is not taken lightly by God. His laughing expresses that the nation's attempt to pose him is actually no threat at all. Um, however, at a certain point, the laughing ends. And the Lord answers that corrupt speech to verse 3 with his own divine address. Um, in his wrath and fury, he says in verse 6, As for me... I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God declares that though the nations have been raging, he has already settled the matter. His king has been installed on Mount Zion to execute his just wrath upon the nations. Uh, we are told in verses seven to nine that this king, his son, is given the nations as his inheritance, the entire world as as his possession. And he will rule, crushing all that oppose his triumphant reign. Now, who is this king? Well, for the Jews of Israel's day, it was David's son Solomon. as Spoken of here in verse 7, where it says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. The decree refers to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Where the Lord made a gracious promise to David that a son would sit upon the throne after him. The Lord said to David concerning his son, I will I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. We see God's initial promise here in 2 Samuel 7 blossoming like a flower in the days of David and Solomon. If you recall, Solomon was the king who built the temple. Whose reign was marked by abundant peace and prosperity for his people, his borders extending farther than any Israelite king before or after him, his dominion causing the nations to bring tribute before his throne, and the kings from all over the world to journey to Jerusalem to seek his wisdom. By all accounts, he looked to be the promised king uh, that was even prayed for in Psalm 72. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings render him tribute and bring gifts. May all kings bow down before him. All nations serve him. But in time, Solomon proved that he was not God's forever king. Instead of subduing the earth, his very heart was seduced. And he turned from the Lord to worship the false gods. Uh, His reign ended, too, when he died and he stayed dead, as did all the other Davidic kings who followed. And in order to be God's forever king, he needs to live forever. But God had not broken his promise. And so, after almost a thousand years had passed, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee, named Nazareth to a virgin, and said to her, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The eternal Son of God incarnate, the promised son had arrived. And at his baptism, when the Holy Spirit descended upon him, anointing him with the Spirit of God to serve as Israel's king, the father bore public witness to his identity, saying, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. But as pleased as the father was, his own people raged against him, delivering up him up to be crucified. But in, but in their vain rage, Jesus put his kingship on full display, where on the cross he made complete and satisfactory atonement for sin, taking upon himself all the judgment, wrath, and fury for sin. And by doing so, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. If you are here and do not consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you must understand that Jesus Christ is your King in a very real sense. Uh, if you recall in the 2016 presidential election, um, Hillary Clinton ran against Donald Trump and Donald Trump won. And there was a large portion of the portion of the country that said he's not my president. Fast forward four years, Donald Trump runs against Joe Biden, and Joe Biden wins the election, and there's a large portion of the country that says, he's not my president. Now, I understand what these people mean, but the fact of the matter is, if you are a citizen of the United States of America, whether you like that person or not, they are your president. Concerning Jesus Christ... You may or may not love him, but he is still your king. You may blatantly disobey him, but he is still your king. You might not even believe he exists, but he is still your king. You might hate him, but he's still your king. And he has been given all authority as king to execute wrath and judgment on all who do not submit to him as Lord. Uh, Revelation 19 describes how on the last day he will ride forth to judge his enemies. The word of God tells us that from his mouth will come a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus will surely rule the world with a rod of iron. David foreshadowed it, it, verse nine, by breaking the nations uh, with a rod of iron and dashing them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Uh, John wrote of it in Revelation 19. He is the king of glory, um, who will receive all glory by triumphing over his enemies. But he is also the king of grace. Earlier, we sang one of my favorite hymns, uh, Before the Throne of God. And I love this verse, particularly the last line, where it says, Behold him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness. The great, unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. Jesus is the King of grace. What What does that mean that Jesus is the King of grace? Well, by contrast, whether it be a king or a president or a mayor or a boss or a little league coach or even pastors, we can find often that leaders rule by force or intimidation. But, but in the kingdom of Christ, our king rules his people so graciously by his word and his spirit and the hearts of his people. Though the world is filled with leaders who use others to get to the top, Jesus first descended from His throne. For um, Jesus first descended from His throne, humbling him, humbling Himself for our sakes, becoming obedient unto death for our sakes, even to death on the cross, uh, to redeem us by His blood, and then ascended to the throne to the throne in order to rule over His people for their everlasting good. Um, there's a scene in the Chronicles of Narnia um, that I think captures this so well of, of Christ's kingship, his, his kingship of grace, uh, where Aslan, who he is the, the lion and king of Narnia, is comforting young Diggory Kirk about the evil witch. And Aslan, who's this mighty and strong lion, uh, says to little Diggory, evil will come of that evil, but it is still a long way off. And I will see to it that the worst falls upon me. Um, Jesus, not Aslan, came to take the worst upon himself, to bear the sins for his subjects. And he exercises his authority for the good of his people. Jesus shows his love for his people and that while we were his enemies, he exercised his authority not to destroy us as we deserved, but to pay the penalty for our sins. And after Jesus was laid in the tomb, when all the disciples' hopes were crushed that he was in fact Psalm 2's king, three days later, he rose victoriously from the grave as the conqueror of death. And in the fulfillment of Psalm 2 7, where the Lord said, you are my son, today I have begotten you, the father declared Jesus to be the son of God in power According to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And after resurrecting, Jesus then ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high, installed as king on Zion. And as we heard, read at the start of the service, he was presented with dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Um, If you are here this morning and you do not consider yourself um, to belong to this king, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, I would urge you to repent, to turn away from opposing him and instead trust in his atoning sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. He is the only one worthy, the only one able to save from the eternal punishment and wrath that we deserve. He is the worthy lamb. Um, Or in other words, uh, kiss the son and enjoy the blessedness of taking refuge in him. That's our third and final observation uh, this morning. Rage, rain, and now refuge. The Lord commands all people, all who have been opposing him and his son, to be wise and take heed of this warning that God has appointed a day when he will judge the world by Jesus Christ. If you are here this morning and have not placed your faith in Jesus, God calls you now to kiss the son. That means to give him homage to bow your heart in affectionate submission, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. And the way to kiss the son is to give him the honor and glory that he deserves. Um, By confessing that you are in rebellion against your king, dead in your sins, and deserving of his just wrath for opposing his reign. And then turning, turning to him, trusting in him and in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. And there is good news, good news for all who choose wisdom and heed this warning, who acknowledge their sin and look to Christ for forgiveness. Verse 12 says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. All sinners, all sinners who feel the weight of their sin Um, in rebelling against such a great king, and um, have this assurance promised. All who take refuge in the Son, find refuge in the Son, and receive his blessing. The blessing of the forgiveness of sins. The blessing of reconciliation with the Father. The blessing of Jesus' perfect righteousness. The blessing of adoption as sons. Uh, The blessing of eternal joy, favor, peace, and delight from the presence of God forever. Saints, let let us rejoice in these blessings too. Uh, Because Christ has been exalted, he has won for us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. From his throne in Mount Zion, cascades down to us all the gracious benefits and privileges that we as his new covenant people enjoy. Our King, He has poured out His Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we can cry, Abba, Father. He has set our our hearts free from the dominion and power of sin so that we can now joyfully and willingly love, worship, and submit to Him. He has given us His perfect righteousness so that we never have to stand in our own. And He has given us His assurance that He will forever protect us guard, and keep us. And I I do want to say this, that when Jesus rose and was exalted to the right hand of the Father, he sat down not only as our king, but as our great high priest. Uh, Brothers and sisters, know that Jesus is reigning right now, not only as your king, but as your great high priest. Hebrews 12, uh, 10, 12 says, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And he calls his people to take refuge in him, to run, to run to his throne of grace for refuge, that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need, uh, to take refuge in his grace, uh, to take refuge in his merits for us, to take refuge in his power and comfort and ability to help us in our time of need. And it's all assured to us because Jesus was declared the Son of God in power. Um, how should we respond to such a king? Do you remember the three magi who came to Herod uh, and said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star. And I've come to worship him. And the scriptures tell us that when they saw the child, they fell down and worshiped him. If they worshiped Jesus and prostrated themselves before him, before the king in his lowliest point of humiliation, how much more reason do we have to worship and adore him who has been crowned with glory and honor uh, and to serve, serve him? To that end, I would like to close with two brief points of application. Um, The first is boldness. Uh, Boldness. When the apostles were faced with the decision of shrinking back or continuing to preach the gospel because of the persecution that they faced, they did not come up with a new strategy or a new angle, but rather, as we read, they prayed. Uh, after quoting quoting Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2, they prayed, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. And when they prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We are encouraged. We are encouraged that God answers prayers that are according to his will. And praying for boldness to share the, uh, the gospel is one of them. So if you are discouraged by your lack of boldness, keep praying. The sovereign Lord who made all things will supply you with the boldness um, you need as you rely upon Him. And because our King reigns, this should encourage us in our witness of the gospel. Jesus assured His disciples in Matthew chapter twenty-eight that because. He has been given all authority in heaven and earth. And because he would always be with his people, we can go forward with the confidence that he bows the hearts of his enemies uh, to believe through the gospel that we share. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And our king says that my people shall be made willing in the day of my power. Um, Second point of application would be tolerance tolerance. We live in a day in which tolerance is called for in almost any expression imaginable, except when it comes to the Christian faith. Um, Now, because of this, we can become so agitated at the world to the point where we start to wage warfare on the world according to the world's ways. Um, Whether we might be tempted to physical force or intimidation or disrespect or just rudeness, Uh, we must first look at how the kingdom of Christ operates in the world. Um, After the religious leaders threatened and beat the apostles for preaching the gospel, we are told in Acts chapter 5 that they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. The only way that the apostles could rejoice after being beaten was because of what Jesus himself had said uh, before Pilate as he was about to be crucified. Jesus said in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. Meaning, subjects to King Jesus don't fight like the world. Instead, as Paul said to the Corinthians, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Br- uh, brothers and sisters, um, we are armed with the Holy Spirit and the gospel, and we are sent forth not to crush, not to crush others, but to summon to flee uh, his wrath and to find refuge in his son. Uh, in a day where we increasingly feel the rage of the enemies of Christ, we can love our enemies because we know. Um, If they don't repent, he will crush them, which frees us to not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So brothers and sisters, I hope you have seen from this Psalm that the Lord has definitively answered the world's opposition to his rule with his son, who will subdue all things. As we submit to him, and trembling joy, may we spread the word of his reign with the bold humility that comes from knowing and trusting that our God reigns over all. Would you pray with me? Uh, oh Lord, we, uh, we praise you, we thank you that you are king. That You have uh, given us your son, Jesus, to be our, to be our king. Um, Lord, would you help us uh, from your word to go forth now um, with boldness and with courage, uh, knowing that you are the God who reigns. Uh, Would your word uh, produce um, that which you um, desire for it? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.